everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. So the K-drama that I'm going to talk about today is called Be Melodramatic. It's also known as Mellow Suits Me, or the name that I know it as is Mellow Is My Nature. Um, It has a lot of different titles. (laughs) So Mellow Is My Nature, or whatever, uh, is a 16-episode K-drama that came out um, towards the end of 2019. I think it's it's more like it has more kind of seriousness to it than a straight rom-com, but there are moments of it that feel very rom-com moments of it that feel very fluffy and light. Um, there's some really weird quirky stuff in here as well, but then there's a lot of this, I guess, reflection on slice of life moments. Um, these really beautiful themes, um, exploring just everyday life and everyday people and emotion and the way that we interact with each other. So it just runs a little bit deeper than a fluffy rom-com. And yet it still, I think, leans into those aspects as well. Um, it also has one of the most moving storylines on grief that I feel like I've ever watched in a drama. It just ripped out my heart, but was also done in this really just beautifully, beautifully put together way. Um, So I guess it's kind of interesting to know that I feel like I would not have watched this gay drama except for this podcast. Um, And it's really interesting to me. And it's sort of a side effect of starting a Korean drama podcast that I really did not expect is that lately um, I've started noticing that a lot of the dramas that I am watching, you know, currently or over the last few months are actually listener recommended dramas. Um, And they're dramas that I was either avoiding (laughs) because I was like, nah, I don't don't know if that's for me. And someone's been like, no, I think you should watch it. And I've given it a go and it's great. Or in the case of this drama, um, Mellow is My Nature, Uh, It completely slipped by my radar. Like I did not, I didn't notice it. You know, I didn't hear about it. I didn't think about it. I didn't notice it. And what happened was at the end of 2019, I recorded two episodes in which I did like a huge roundup of every drama that came out in 2019 that I'd watched or started to watch and then had a list of some that I still wanted to give a go to. And Mellow Is My Nature did not appear on that list at all. And um, I wish I could remember who it was, but it was quite a while ago now. Um, But I think two different listeners came to me and were like, you should watch Mellow Is My Nature. It was my favorite drama of the year. It is so good. It is an underrated gem. So I decided to pick it up um, and I thought it would be Luffy, uh, Luffy. <laughs> I was trying to say lighter and fluffier at the same time. And I said, luffier, it's a new word for you. <laughs> so I did think it was going to be lighter and fluffier than what it was. It's quite emotionally a little bit deeper than I expected, which was actually really welcome. I really liked, um, those elements of the drama. Um, it's a very thoughtful 
kind of show in a way that I didn't expect. Um, so the show is very much, I guess you would say, a women-centered show. They take front and center and there's basically three women all, you know, just reaching their early 30s who are dealing with that. What is their life? What is the future? What are they now that they are, you know, 30-year-old women and what does that change? Um, and I guess it's that kind of crisis of growing out of that that very young age where the whole world is still in front of you and finally reaching 30 and realizing that you are an adult and people expect you to have your shit together. But do you? Probably not. <laughs> So I really related to this drama. Um, I'm of, you know, pretty much the, the similar age that I think <laughs> this has sort of spoke to me quite a lot in, in a lot of the ideas and the themes. Um, so the other thing that I think is interesting to note about this drama is the whole setup. It, you know, it's not a plot based show. There isn't like one big, huge plot that you kind of need to explain that's driving anywhere where it's very much people separate little moments and stories. And it's a very gentle show in, in terms of that. And it's much more a character led show. Um, but at the same time, if there was a plot, the plot would be that the, the main character, Jinju, is a, you know, an aspiring scriptwriter for K-dramas and she kind of gets her big break and the whole drama is then about her sort of creating this slice of life, women-centered drama about 30-year-old women dealing with the world and their situation. So the drama gets very meta like it has all this commentary on itself um which is really really interesting to the point where i i really had to wonder if the person who wrote this drama was basically the main character and if they'd um you know based it all on themselves which i think is a really funny thing for me to wonder as an author myself um not so much for my historical fiction, because everyone knows that I don't live in Joseon in, you know, the 1500s, but for other books that I write that are contemporary um, readers and, you know, in interviews and stuff, the question that I get asked all the time is, is this based on your life? Is this about you? Did you write this as like, you know, about you? And I'm always like, no, like, if I was going to write a book about me, it would be a memoir and it's not, it's a fictional book. Like, um, and I just think it's really, really interesting. Um, readers and reviewers tendency, tendency to expect fiction to be based on fact, like to always presume that fiction will be based on true things instead of understanding that usually writers who write multiple things like multiple screenplays, multiple books, it's going to be fiction, you know? I mean, you might draw elements from life, but the whole point of creating fiction and creating stories is getting to play with your imagination and frankly, the joy of making shit up. So I found it really interesting that I personally fell into the exact same trap that I'm always kind of like weirded out that other people, you know, have that view towards me and my work. And I did that with this drama. I was like, oh, I wonder if the screen, you know, the, the person who wrote the screenplay, the writer is, is basically, this is her, this is her life. Um, and I looked it up and the writer and director is the same person. <laughs> He's a man. <laughs> Um, is so it's definitely not. Uh, he's pretty young and he's also known for some pretty big movies. Like there's um, a Korean movie called Extreme Job that came out in 2019. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I want to, but I think that was like a madly high grossing film in South Korea. Like I think it was huge, like maybe huge, huge right after, well, not right after Parasite, obviously, because that went insanely viral. Um, but yeah, really big release. So he's obviously very successful. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting that, you know, one of the only dramas he's done is this very gentle, quiet, um, you know, women-centered story about women. It was really interesting. Um, so I think, I think I'll get into the setup now. Okay, so I think because this drama doesn't really have like 
you know, major plot focused um, stories, I think the best way to sort of tackle it as a setup is to go character by character. And I think there's a lot of similarities with this show with the very popular Hello, My Twenties, um, season one and season two. Um, Hello, My Twenties, obviously, obviously deals with young women in their twenties, um, while this drama deals with three women um, who have just reached 30. So it definitely, I feel like has sometimes a similar feel where it really kind of like straddles that line between you know funny and light and romantic but also this deeper emotion this more gritty real life element to it as well um but obviously hello my 20s also has major focus on some incredible mysteries within those stories which this one totally does not have so this one is very very light on plot it's completely character driven um, so the main character is definitely um, a young woman called Jinju. So she's played by an actor that I've never seen this actress before, um, Chan Woo-hee. Um, I liked her. This is my first time seeing her. She was not my favorite character in this drama, which I think is really interesting. And I think it's probably the only, not complaint, because I'm completely aware that this is a personal taste thing. Um, but out of all the characters and all the storylines that we follow in this drama, um, Jinju's character, like Jinju's storyline was my least, the one I was least invested in and least cared about, um, or least emotionally invested in. I don't know why I didn't mind her. Like it was totally fine. It was light and charming. And she probably had, you know, the more traditional K-drama kind of story, you know, her whole story is about realizing this dream of being a script writer and also falling in love. So she has the main romance in the drama. Um, again, completely personal, but I just didn't connect with the romance. I didn't care about them as much as I cared about other characters in this show. Um, but I really feel that different viewers will probably have a very different reaction um, to that. But I actually think that that is the beauty of an ensemble drama like this, where there is so many so many main major characters who have their own storylines and often their own love lines and their own things going on that um, in the same way as Hello My Twenties did, like there's always something there that will capture your interest specifically or suit your personal taste specifically, um, which is why I think ensemble dramas are usually always a win for me because there's always something there that I like. Um, so unfortunately for me, in this case, it was not so much the main character. I don't really know why. Jinju is completely likable. Um, you know, she's a little bit, uh, you know, she's stressed out. She's trying to make her dreams come true, I suppose. And she's quite quirky <laughs> and uh, and interesting. Um, but I did like her. So Jinju is, you know, we kind of see the backstories for all these women. So, you know, she's sort of um, been unemployed and been trying to get into writing for dramas and she gets basically hired as a support script writer for a major drama writer in, you know, in the Korean um, K-drama industry. Um who I can't help wonder if it's like based on those like massive writers that do exist. Um, uh, who are those hit maker kind of drama writers? Um, but it's a pretty difficult job for Jinju because this major script writer is, you know, <laughs> she's a bit difficult to work with. Um, and so Jinju ends up because she's very headstrong. She doesn't like kind of cower like the other um, support writers do. So she's always butting heads and, you know, just kind of getting into trouble. But she's also very talented at what she does and she enters a script competition um, and actually does not win but gets picked up by a kind of up-and-coming young director who everyone you know he has a lot of clout and power and so he manages to pick her script out of a slush pile and basically start creating a drama from it and interesting enough the script is of course you know basically the drama that we're watching is the drama that she's creating to the point where at the end of this drama, things get super meta and through a discussion, um, you know, Jinju and the director discuss the ending of the drama and choose how it ends. So it gets very, it's a very interesting kind of like, what do they call that? Like snake eating its own tail? Or is that like uh, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. Anyway, that was me trying to create a weird metaphor. <laughs> so the director guy is played by 
by the actor Ahn Jae-hong, who is in a lot of stuff and is quite famous. And his character's name is Bomsu, but he's the director. So that's what I'll probably call him. And he has the main romance line with Jinju. Um, so there's a lot of funny stuff, like, again, coming to this this idea of all the meta commentary in the drama. So the actor Ahn Jae-hong, um, he had a role, like I guess his breakout role, was in one of the Reply series dramas. I always get them bloody confused. So I can't remember if it was, was it 1994? Was it 1988? I think it was 1988, but I can't remember. And I'm not going to look it up. Um, so there's like commentary in the drama where, you know, one of the other characters is looking at the director and is like, you know, like you look like Ahn Hae Jong and, you know, like you were in this drama or whatever. Like, so there's a lot of jokes in that way, which I think if you, if you watch enough K-dramas to be able to pick up on them, and I'm sure there was probably some that went over my head, but I did feel like I picked up on a lot of them, kind of like little jokes about different actors and the industry and how dramas work. And that was really fun. I really enjoyed that side of the show. Um, so basically, Bomsu, so the director, he just immediately really likes Jinju, but they're very bantery. They really like butt heads. They obviously get along really well, but part of their getting along is kind of debating and, yeah, just really kind of butting heads all the time. I think that's the best way to describe their relationship. Um, so they're always talking. They have these, like, really kind of really fast whip sharp conversations like very witty back and forth wordplay just like bouncing off each other um talking about different topics and different ideas and stuff like that but obviously they also end up very much so supporting each other um and so throughout the drama they basically very slowly fall in love and there isn't a huge amount of conflict in in that realistically, you know, and I think that's because this drama does take a more a very like modern realistic kind of look at, or maybe it's like if someone was writing, you know, a fluffy romantic drama about three women, but then was like, but what if it was real? And so there's a lot of elements in it that do feel very true to real life. And then other moments that are so quirky and weird that they're just full K-drama. So I think there's some, some parts of the show that are very tongue in cheek. And I think that comes down to this, like this meta, like drama, the drama you're watching is kind of the drama the characters are creating sort of maybe. So it's, it's very interesting in that way. So one of the other main characters who was my favorite main character was um, a young woman called Njung, <laughs> Njung, played by an actress called John Yo Bin. So I haven't seen John Yo Bin. I feel like I recognized her face, um, but I looked her up and I was like, oh, she must have been a side character in one or two dramas I've seen. She is such a beautiful woman. Like it is just, you know, just seeing her face on screen. Like she is gorgeous she's beautiful she's very like has like you know what I don't like saying this word but uh which is weird because I do like swearing a lot but I feel like the word bitch is not so much for me um but it's that whole thing of resting bitch face um which is a term that people say about people whose like natural expression is like pretty pretty scary um so yeah I think that um Undung sort of looks very I don't know. <laughs> Not very approachable, I suppose, but she's stunningly beautiful. Her story was my favorite and it ripped me up. Like I really, I cried a lot um, watching this. And I do wonder, like her story really deals very heavily in a very beautiful and moving and achingly sad way with grief. And I think I'm not sure. I think it would be the same for everyone. I feel like anyone could connect to this story and really, really feel it. Um, but I do wonder if those of us who have been through loss, um, you know, not in the same way as this, as this drama, like I guess I'm talking about losing my mum a couple of years ago, um, which is different. Undong has lost the love of her life. Um, but there's just these recognizable moments in in the stages of her grief and in the loneliness that she feels and the isolation of undergoing grief, you know, like no one can really understand how you feel because everyone everyone 
experiences grief differently. So for instance, you know, my dad and me both lost my mom, but we both felt that and experienced that in very different ways that you can't really share it together. Like, so I feel like grief is such an isolating experience. Um, Even if you've got people around you who help you and look after you, like it's such an internal journey that you have to go on alone. And I think the drama did a really good job of illustrating that um, with Anjung's storyline in this show. So, oh my gosh, it made me fucking cry so much. It was, it's beautiful, but it is gut-wrenching. So basically we start off, we see Anjung's backstory is that, you know, totally poverty stricken, trying to chase her dreams of being obsessed with documentaries and wanting to make a documentary that is meaningful. And so she kind of puts everything on the line for it. And she decides that she wants, and I found this really interesting. She wanted to make a documentary about the descendants of pro-Japanese Koreans during the occupation. So I thought that I would actually like to see that documentary. So I don't know much about that, like modern descendants of pro-Japanese Koreans, but obviously during the Japanese occupation that lasted up until 1945, a lot of probably upper class richer Koreans chose to kind of join hands with the Japanese occupiers to enable them to retain their positions, retain their wealth, retain their lands, or even expand those things, you know, get positions in the government, um, that kind of stuff. And obviously, you know, once the Japanese left at the end of World War II, I feel that those pro-Japanese supporters weren't looked on particularly well, obviously, but they didn't, um, well, my understanding is they didn't really kind of get, you know, get everything taken off them because the government in the South was a little bit um, pretty intense back then, actually. And I think um, didn't really do anything about it because they were probably quite rich as well. So anyway, I was reading a book about it. That's why I'm talking about it. It's very, very interesting, but I'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, anyway, her documentary, which is barely a part of the show at all, but I just thought was really interesting, is she's trying to find these descendants to go and talk to, but a lot of them are from very rich, very powerful or very scary families. So she can't really get close. And eventually she meets this young man who has disengaged from his parents because he doesn't like them. He comes from a very rich family, but he sort of started from the ground up and created his own character cafe and his own businesses and he decides to help her so he is a descendant and he decides to you know allow her to interview him for the documentary and also um, help her make the documentary he wants to invest in it so um, you know as they make this documentary they fall in love and this is more of a footnote in the drama than like a big plot point this is like something that's happened in the past of where we're watching from. Um, but Unjung falls in love with this young man and then, um, you know, they obviously move in together and everything's really great. And then the drama, com- uh, the documentary comes out and it makes her like an absolute zillionaire, famous zillionaire. And then her young man gets cancer and slowly wastes away in front of her and dies. And it is, it is sad. Um, very, very sad. <laughs> oh, it's heavy. And then Eun you know, we see her and her friends all move into her house. Uh, like, oh, sorry, her friends move into her house and start trying to look after her and stuff because basically they think she's okay. They think she's dealing with it well. I'm not sure if it's a year later or two years later, but she tries to kill herself. And then after that, she survives and they all move in with her and kind of create this really tight support network with her. But um, when Ndung wakes up in the hospital after her suicide attempt, you know, this man that she loves is there. He's beside her and he tells her that she has to live because if she doesn't live, who will remember him? And it's this, he stays with her. But, and at first I think, you know, it's this emotional crux that she really, really needs. She needs his support. She needs him there telling her that she has to live in order to be able to do that. But as the show goes on, you know, he's always there. He's always beside her. So when she's talking with her friends, sometimes she'll turn and she'll talk to this man that she loves who is dead. And people notice, but her friends are so, they treat her 
as someone who is fragile. So it's not like they're like, hey, you're talking to a ghost and you shouldn't do that. Like, you know, he's a figment of your imagination. They just understand it's a coping mechanism and they don't say anything. And it continues on that that Eunjung has these conversations and, you know, continues her relationship really with him, even though he's no longer there. And it is really, oh, it's so sad. It made me cry so much just how lost she is in her grief that she is is kind of seeing the world in this way just to cope. It's so sad um and then there's this moment you know um Eunjung gives away all her money to charity so she's got none left and she decides to make a new um documentary so I really liked this storyline too she decides there's you know this this kind of sort of famous actress like she might be a bit b-list she used to be a-list now b-list trying to get back to a-list kind of a thing um and she's kind of uh, at first you think she's a bit of a caricature however you say that word um you know like an airhead all she cares about is you know the way she looks and the way other people think of her and then obviously you know and maybe like a little bit bitchy and stuff like that and as the drama progresses obviously we get to see deeper into her and understand that that is not necessarily the case at all which I loved um so Unjung decides to make a documentary about this kind of ridiculous actress and at one point she sees herself on camera kind of being interviewed by the actress and they have all these like really interesting conversations. But anyway, and she sees herself turn around and talk to her dead boyfriend on camera. And it's this moment where she sees herself talking to the air and there's nothing there. And it fucking crushed my heart. Like it was so painful. But then there's this beautiful moment that also crushed my heart where she admits to her friends that she's struggling, that she needs help. And it's like this, they all just start crying immediately because, you know, last time she didn't admit she was struggling and she tried to kill herself. So it's just... Oh, it's heavy. And then um, as the drama progresses, she doesn't get a love line, but she gets a man who kind of enters her life that you feel eventually in the future something will happen. And I thought he was really fun. (laughs) I really liked it. Um, So the third kind of major storyline is centered around a character called Hanju, who is played by the actress Han Ji-yoon. So I've seen Han Ji-yoon's face, this actress, a lot, but again, um, you know, not specifically from something as a huge main character, but she's just one of those actresses I think that you'll recognize. I really, really liked Hanju. Uh, I found this one really interesting. So we find out her backstory is that she she was another one that I really liked. Um, you know, she, she's been married and divorced. It didn't work out. He didn't treat her well. And she has a kid who's about eight at this point, I think, or something like that. And he's very precocious and she can't really (laughs) get him to do anything, but he's very cute. Um, So they all live together in this apartment. Um, And so her thing is very, I guess her storyline is Hanju's is is much more work related. Uh, Well, I guess all of them touch on work, but hers is very much, she works for this, um, I don't even know what this company is. At first, she's kind of like dealing with PPL, so like product placement on drama sets. So like, you know, a contract gets signed between a major company who has a product and the director and, you know, the writer will sign the contract and the actor has to agree that, yes, they'll use that fucking vacuum in in the in this certain scene or they'll drink whatever juice or you know all that kind of stuff but then when it comes down to the crunch um on set you know the actor's like I'm not fucking doing that like that's stupid why would I be vacuuming while I'm having my emotional scene and so Hanju's job is basically to turn up and be like you fucking promise to do this thing. You got to do this thing. And she gets no support because, you know, the director doesn't want bloody product placement in his drama. The writer doesn't want it. The actor doesn't want to do it, but there is a contract and it's written. So she has to make it happen. So basically she goes on insane missions to make it happen constantly, just at the beck and call of all these other people, um, which can lead to a lot of comedy, but also lead to some quite powerful moments that were very interesting as well. So the comedy side is when we first meet Hanju, this is just one example of many, um, there's this great scene where you're watching this drama unfold 
And it's like one of these, you know, gangster Korean film kind of shows. Uh, I guess it's a, probably a movie or something like, um, but one of those gangster ones. So there's like all these guys in suits and they're in an alley. And then, you know, like the hero gets shot and then the camera pans down across his body and then up towards his hand where all the blood and then it follows the blood kind of like pooling on the cement. And then suddenly the blood like stops around this, like, I don't think it's like a little, um, a little plastic tub of jelly. <laughs> with the label faced upwards so you can see it and the director's like fucking cut what is this like why is this jelly in my shot <laughs> and Hanju's like trying to explain to him like oh well you know maybe it just happened to be there and he's like what you mean the hero just happened to die right there and the blood just happened to go towards this little jelly it's so fucking funny I really really enjoyed it um but it kind of got me thinking about, you know, this whole push and pull about product placement in dramas, um, because, you know, obviously I've, I've watched The King, <laughs> Eternal Monarch, which I think is the most um, PPL heavy drama I've ever seen in my life, um, which I will discuss at a later date. Um, very interesting stuff. Um, so I really enjoyed kind of seeing the side of it from someone who's trying to make it happen, you know. And then when I talked about the kind of emotionally heavy aspect, so there's this point where Hanju is trying to talk this director and writer into agreeing to, you know, see out their contract. Like these people have signed this contract saying that the actor is going to use some dumb vacuum in some scene and the actor refuses. So the director doesn't really want to have to go tell the actor what to do because he's a bit of a big time dude. And neither does the writer. So she's trying to convince them and she's like trying to be a businesswoman about it. She's like, look, you signed the contract. Like this is business. You have to follow through. Like this is, you know, it's a binding contract. And I can't remember if it's the director or the writer, but one of them's like, you know, well, you know, you're a woman and we're men. Why don't you try agio? Like, why don't you try to charm us instead of trying to be, you know, hard ass about it? Um, so I'm sure listeners know agyo. Um, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but it's like this, you know, being cute, which we see in dramas all the time. And so Hanju is horrified. You know, she wants to be seen as a woman at work, not a, you know, a woman who has to pretend to be cute to get what she wants. And she complains about it over dinner with her friends. And Undang says to her, you know, everyone's like, oh, no, that's terrible. And Unjung just looks at her and says, do it. You know, like, yeah, just do it. And so the next day we see Hanju at work again. And all she does all day is put on this like sickly, sweet, over the top, um, little girl, a go kind of act and follow the writer, director and actor around all day, getting in their face, going like, Opa, like you promised to sign the contract. Opa, 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 opa. Like it's insane. It's unbelievable. And it's just nonstop. And she does like all those little body wiggles and like, you know, the finger in the cheek and batting her eyelids and like, you know, blowing out her cheeks and just being so cute, but like in this really over the top sickly way that it is a bit uncomfortable to see a 30-year-old woman doing this, but she does it to the point where finally, you know, everyone's very uncomfortable. Like all the men are trying to get away from her and eventually the actor caves and he's like, he blows up and he's like, fine, you know, I'll freaking do it then, whatever. And then the second he does that, she just goes completely still. And then this really quiet voice, she just says, thank you. And it's such a like sad moment because it makes him feel it makes him realize what he's done to her to make her do all of that. You know, it feels like such a big weighty thing where I feel like these men really, really learn, understand something, you know, have empathy towards her for the first time for what they've just put her through when, you know, they've just felt annoyed because she's harassing them with it, but finally kind of realizes that it's a little bit, you know, deeper than that. Um, so I really liked it. I thought there was a lot of really interesting kind of storylines around the character of Hanju. I really liked it. Um, so one of the other major characters is Hanju gets a new co-worker who's this slightly younger man played by the actor Gong Myung, who um, is in heaps of stuff. Like I've just seen him. I've seen his face in everything forever. So he plays a character called Jehoon, um, who's sort of like her, I don't know, like She's mentor him, mentoring him, basically. Um, and as the drama progresses, Hanju moves into drama producing um, instead and obviously begins producing her friend Jinju's new script. 
Um, so it all gets very like interconnected. Um, but Jehun, you just presume, right, that there is going to be a love line between Hanju and Jehun. Like it just seems, it seems very K-drama that there will be. Um, but Jehun has a girlfriend um, who he lives with because this is a modern drama where it does accept that, you know, a lot of 30-year-old people who are in relationships probably do, you know, live together, <laughs> um, which is it's quite refreshing, actually. It's a very modern view of relationships and just life in general, I think, um, instead of that more fantasy sheen of, you know, 30-year-olds who have never fallen in, well, you know, fallen in love or kissed anyone or even tried to have a relationship or that kind of stuff, which I think you do get a lot in dramas as well, which is fine. I don't actually mind that those fantasy ideas of like, you know, the perfect first love that you wait for. I mean, that's the dream, but it's also not reality for a lot of people. Anyway, that was a big, long thing. So this drama deals with a lot of like breakup pain. Um, Jinju, the main character, has an ex-boyfriend who's a major character in the drama and they, they're both still dealing with a lot of feelings, I suppose, or him particularly, I suppose. Um, but Jae-hoon, so Gong Myung's character, um, you know, him and his girlfriend are just going through the most horrendous, drawn-out breakup. It is absolutely horrific. Um, and I think quite interesting because, you know, I really thought that he was going to be a love line for Hanju. And I kept thinking, you know, his breakup is so complicated and he's so, his feelings are so messy. And I just kept thinking it's probably not very healthy for him, even if they do break up, for him to jump straight into a relationship with Hanju, who has also a little kid to worry about. You know, that's a little kid who has to become involved in in that relationship, you know, like if they break up again, there's a kid involved. So I was kind of like, I don't know. And then the drama didn't really go there. And because I'm a huge romance lover, I kind of still wanted it to. I wanted it to be a love line. But in the end, it was this deep, respectful friendship line between the two that ends up being platonic, um, which was really interesting. Um, and I did not expect. Um, so I actually really liked that. I really liked their friendship. I liked the way that they acted around each other. They're so close and comfortable. And that was quite nice. Um, and it turns out Hanju had a romance the whole drama long, but it all happens off screen, which I was kind of like, I could have done with seeing it because I, but only because I like romance so much. Um, so I guess that's the general setup and I feel like I waffled on quite a lot. Um, so before I finish up my discussion on Mellow is My Nature, um, what I wanted to do was just talk about some of the things that I really, really loved in this drama that I thought were just really cool. So the first one is the spotlight on grief. I don't think I've seen it dealt with like this, you know, like so many stories have, I guess, use grief as, so like in a story, uh, writers will call it an inciting incident, you know, the thing that pushes the main character to do the thing that the story is about. And a lot of times death will be used as an inciting incident that begins the character journey or the hero's journey. So for instance, you know, if the main character is say a young woman, the inciting incident might be her parents die and she, you know, you know, that would probably be like a YA story or something, you know, the thing that gets them to go. And then of course, when grief or death is used as an inciting incident in a story, I feel there isn't a lot of time to explore the after effects of it, um, you know, to really explore how that character would really be quite crippled by that grief because the story's got to take place and, you know, the viewers just want to watch that character go and do something else, not just um, kind of wallow in grief the whole time. And I really liked the kind of realistic portrayal of grief in this show and the idea that it's already been a few years and she's still completely fucked up about it. You know, this isn't something small. This was the man that she expected to spend the rest of her life with and he's no longer there. Um, so I loved it. I just thought it was really, really well done. And again, like, man, I just fucking cried so much. It was unbelievable. Um, so I also want to mention just while I'm on the topic of Undang. So I obviously thoroughly confused myself when I began watching this drama. There's another character. So the three women live together um, and Hanji's little son is also living with them in this big wide apartment. It's the most spacious fucking apartment I've ever seen in my life. Like the lounge room is like a fucking dance hall. It's unbelievable. But anyway, 
Um, so they also live with a young man uh, who's played by an actor called Yan Jion, who I have seen his face in stuff, and his character is Hyo Bong. So Hyo Bong, um, I really liked him in this. He was really good. Um, but I got very confused at the start of the drama, and I thought that he was Unjung's dead boyfriend's younger brother. And he's not. He's actually Unjung's younger brother, but I didn't realize that. And I actually loved my misconception. I thought it was beautiful because I, I really liked the idea that after Unjung loses her boyfriend, she moves into this apartment with his younger brother and her three friends or her two friends and creates this new family, this found family, this network of people who love her, but also through the younger brother of her dead boyfriend, love her dead boyfriend. So can, you know, create a support network for each other. Um, I really, really loved that idea, but in the end, that was not what it was. And it was actually her younger brother. And it wasn't the boyfriend's apartment at all, which is, I thought they all lived in the in the dead boyfriend's apartment, but they actually lived in Unjung's apartment. So I, I didn't mind when I found that out, but it, I think for me, it added this extra sad, hollow layer to the grief element that they all live in this young man's apartment and that this young man's brother has just become part of their friendship group. Um, but it didn't really matter. It doesn't make a difference, but I, I would have liked it if that had been so. The other thing I thought was fantastic about Hyo Bong was the very positive portrayal of a same-sex relationship. So Hyo Bong is gay. He is openly gay mostly, um, or just, I guess he is actually. Uh, he's obviously had some problems with his parents because of it and he feels a little bit rejected but they you know he's not a major major character so they don't really go into it but I loved the way his um, sexuality was introduced to the drama I thought it was done so well so he works in a studio that makes you know music I think probably predominantly for dramas so like pop songs and things like that for dramas and he's uh he's in the studio with this like I don't know, song director, studio director. I don't fucking know. This other dude who's like also like a slightly older, but still a young dude. Um, and Hyo Bong goes into the studio to kind of do the dubs for a song that an actress will then sing for a soundtrack for a, like a drama OST. And so he's in there and there's no lyrics to the song. He's just sort of like humming it so that the actress who's also there will be able to understand, you know, what she needs to learn to sing. And she's watching him and she's this, you know, ridiculous actress that I mentioned before who's getting the documentary made about her, who you think is, you know, going to be this really bitchy mean type and ends up having a lot of depth. Um, I really liked this character. So her, the actress's name is Iju Bin um, and the character is Iso Min. So So Min, the actress... Again, I've seen her face and stuff before. Um, you know, she kind of swans in and she's like flirting with everyone. And this is before we get to know her. So you kind of like straight off her a bit standoffish against her, I think. Um, and she kind of swans in and she like sits on the chair next to the music director guy. And then they watch Hyo Bong, the younger brother, singing this song. And Hyo, it's a really, really romantic song. And Hyo Byung is like, he has so much love in his eyes. And so she's sitting there real chuffed, you know, thinking that this young, you know, good looking man is looking at her with all this love in his eyes as he sings this love song. And she's kind of like later on, she gets in the car with her manager and they're driving off, you know, to whatever her next appointment is. And she's just sitting in the back going on and on about, you know, like, which one should she choose? Like the handsome director or the, you know, the handsome singer and they both really like her. And then the director is, um, oh, sorry, her manager is just like kind of like laughs and basically informs her that they're both gay and they're both in a long-term relationship with each other. And we get to see that scene reframed that Hyo Byung was not looking at her. He was looking at, you know, his very long-time serious boyfriend, a uh, long-term and with all this love in his eyes. And it's this really, I thought it was such a romantic moment. And I just loved the way the drama reframed it and changed your understanding of something that you thought you knew what was going on. And in such a nice, positive way as well. So I really, really, really liked all that stuff. It was really cool. 
Um, so my the other thing that I really loved about this drama, my absolute favorite romance in the drama was a side romance. And it was between So Min, who is this mad over-the-top actress, and her road manager, who is played by an ap- actor called Kim Young Joon, uh, and his character is Min Joon. So this actor is fantastic. He should be in like so much stuff. I've looked him up. He's like barely in anything like uh, at all. Um, I really hope that he does well in the future. I thought he was great in this. Um, So he's a very like non-smiley, quite cranky looking dude. Um, He looks quite tough all the time. And she's, you know, really beautiful and really like um, flamboyant and just covered in, you know, like uh, insane clothes and stuff like that. And he's just really like much more gritty and uh, not like that at all. But they spend all their time together in this drama and they're just a side character. But I could honestly have watched a whole drama about these two. Like I would fucking love to watch a romance drama about these. Um, so yeah, it's really fun. You just kind of see them together all the time and you realize how comfortable they are together and how much they like, she relies on him for everything. Um, And then little by little, as the drama progresses, you get to understand more about their backstory and how they met and who they are and and what their their relationship is. And you kind of realize that they've been, they've known each other since high school, where basically, you know, she turned up at high school and just flipped her hair. And he was like the main, what do they call them? Like a jung, like the, the ruler of the school, like a true, like, gangster kind of scary dude and he ruled his school and she just goes up to him and sort of flips her hair and is like you're the scariest guy here and I'm the prettiest girl so you have to protect me (laughs) and he's just kind of like oh okay (laughs) and in the end he basically gives up his you know gangster life to drive her around in a van and look after her for the rest of her life so it's like it's unbelievably romantic but it's completely wrapped up in this you know manager actress kind of relationship and as the drama progresses, um, you know, Soman, the actress, kind of gets pushed into a position where he might be leaving and so she's trying to hold on to him, but he doesn't actually want to leave at all. Um, I adored their romance. I enjoy, adored all the kiss scenes between them. Like, it was just really cool. And then I also liked that it wasn't just, like, a swoony kiss scene. You kind of get to see that they have this really solid, proper relationship as well. And there's this really cool moment where Minjoon says to her, which I really loved, and he's just like, um, you know, give me five years. I've got to go work at this other company and I've got to, you know, make money. So basically he wants to kind of get himself into a position where he feels worthy of her because she's fairly famous and has a lot of money. Um, and she's just like, what? And then he's like, but none of that like shit romantic drama stuff, like, I'm not leaving. Like, we'll still see each other every day. We'll still talk about everything every day. And I really, really liked that. I liked I think that comes back down to that grit and realism in this drama where, you know, couples don't need to be separated for two years to go to Europe to make coffee and they don't know how to Skype each other or like call each other on a phone for some reason. Like there's none of that kind of bullshit. (laughs) He's just like, we'll just fucking see each other all the time. But also we have different careers and we're going to make something of ourselves. And I really liked it. I thought it was awesome. Um, And I just, I loved their dynamic. I liked their relationship. I liked their love story. I thought, you know, how they get together and their their romance scene was like super swoony. I was just totally here for it. And I guess um, I really liked that couple dynamic. You know, she's really high maintenance and over the top. And, you know, I guess comes across at first like a bit bitchy or a bit of an airhead, but layer by layer, you realize that she's not really like that at all. She's super likable, but she also plays into those things quite a lot. And then he's just the complete opposite. Like he's this, you know, high school dropout, really serious, never smiles, looks completely scary, but will do anything for her and has basically followed her around his entire life. And his only dream is her. Like it's super, super romantic. I really enjoyed it. 
Um, so I love that. The other thing um, that I loved was the meta stuff. So as I mentioned before, there's heaps of it. Um, for an, another instant, this, the, the very last episode, you know, all the girls are sitting on the couch and they're like, oh, shit, it's the last episode of our favorite show. And they're, you know, watching a drama on TV that we can't see. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do afterwards? Like, this is terrible. And then one of the girls is like, oh, don't worry. You know, like my country, the new age will be starting afterwards. And they're all like, oh, phew, like, thank goodness. Like, I'd be terrible. And of course, in real life, after Mellow is My Nature finished airing, My Country, The New Age was the next drama on the same channel. So there's just such weird kind of, uh, yeah, just kind of like tongue in cheek moments, I suppose. Um, Another really fun one for me was, again, with the product placement, where the director's having this conversation with uh, Gyeongmung's character, Jaehoon, about the product placement in the drama. And he has to get this insane massage chair into the drama. And he's like, the director's like, how can I do that? This drama is about these women who are just living in this apartment. Like, they can't afford that. Like, why would they have that? That doesn't make any sense. And Jaehoon's like, oh, don't worry about it. Just put it in there. Just put it in there randomly. Like, it's a dream sequence. Just do it. And the director's like, what? just just put it in there and he's like yeah and then we get this whole like imaginary scene where Jaehoon is like describing how it would be which basically involves Hanju wearing like an insane dress and walking around her apartment with her son and just sitting on the chair because it has to be there for product placement reasons and then counting down the seconds that it has to appear in the drama on screen and then it finishes and we're back in the room with the director and Jaehoon and the director's like oh you're a genius that would really work and Jaehoon's like it already has worked. Like it's already, they've already fulfilled their product placement needs through the dream sequence. So obviously they're talking about the real drama now instead of the drama within the drama. So it's just like, it's mind boggling, but fantastic. I loved it. It was really fun. Uh, And then the very last thing I wanted to say that I loved about this drama was quite often, I don't know if every episode had it or if it did and I just completely blanked and missed it, but quite a few episodes would have a theme of the week. Um, So two that I really enjoyed was there was one kind of episode where Jinju is trying to figure out how to have her characters confess that they love each other in the drama. And she's thinking up all these different kinds of confessions. And so she's going around every character and asking them how they met. So we get to see, you know, how Undang met her young man who has since died and we get to see how Hanju you know met her ex-husband and Jinju how she met her you know her old boyfriend her ex-boyfriend and Jaehoon with his girlfriend who they're like completely falling apart and then of course the fantastic ridiculous actress and her manager how they met in high school and all this kind of stuff like so it's really cool and then there was another episode and the whole theme and this sounds so silly but it ended up being like really poignant um the whole scene like it or the whole theme it begins with Jinju accidentally farting in front of her very new boyfriend friend um the director and she's horrified and so she starts going around asking people like if they fart in front of their significant other or not and what it means for their relationship and it's really interesting because you got some couples who are just like yeah of course like who cares like <laughs> of course you're gonna do that and then you know when she talks Jinju talks to her mom her mom's like no no I never fart in front of him but he farts in front of me and Jinju's like what like how did that happen and the mother's like oh I don't know it, it just happened and then the whole episode is like kind of dealing uh, delving into the mother's relationship with the father and what it means that she hides this element of herself and she begins to like try and fart in front of him and then what that means it's just like such a dumb thing but ended up being very poignant and very weird so anyway (laughs) that was a huge waffle I think I'm done talking about mellow is my nature or be melodramatic or mellow suits me so that was the 2019-16 episode quirky sort of rom-com, sort of gritty drama. I don't really know what it was. It was really good. Um, I'm really glad I watched it. Um, Yeah, I thought it was really cool. So now it's time for my random thing of the week. Um, So this is a little bit of a cheat. I am talking about a Chinese film that I saw recently that just... Oh my gosh, I fucking loved it like so much. So I really wanted to talk about it on my Korean drama podcast. Um, so I decided to put it under this section, random thing, (laughs) 
because frankly, that's what my random section is for. It's for whatever the fuck I want to talk about. Um, but I also feel that if you like K-dramas, I feel that you might really enjoy this movie. So the movie is called Better Days, uh, or it looks like maybe the direct translation from Chinese is In His Youth. Um, it came out at the end of 2019. My understanding is that it has won a lot of awards. It's got a pretty wide release. So it's come out in the United States, the United Kingdom and Canada um, and has done really well in China. Um, so it is also based on apparently a popular Chinese YA novel. So young adult fiction novel called In His Youth, In Her Beauty by an author whose name I'm going to butcher. Oh, I'm really sorry. I really don't know anything about Chinese language pronunciation. Ju Yu Xi. I probably shouldn't have even tried to say it. Um, so the novel is called In His Youth, In Her Beauty. Uh, and the film is called Better Days. I would love to read the book. And this is completely aside from me talking about this film. But I am so endlessly frustrated by the fact that the only kind of... Um, from different Asian countries to English translations that I can ever find, um, you know, to buy legitimately and not read online, you know, on some site that you can buy books from um, legitimately. They only seem to translate into English, like very high-end literary fiction um, and not so much just like romance novels and young adult romance novels. And, you know, I think that, you know, these things like I think in China or in Korea, like web novels or light novels are really, really popular. And yet, you know, as an English speaker who sadly can't speak those languages, um, you know, you just can't access this stuff very well. And I would fucking love to read this book. And I know there's probably so many listeners who, you know, say really enjoy watching sea dramas, um, like all the, you know, the, the historical fantasy romances, which are hugely based on books, like Chinese books, Chinese language books that you cannot purchase in English. So you have to read them, you know, someone's been kind enough to translate them on their blogs or on different sites. Um, I just find it really frustrating because I'm very involved in the publishing industry and I, I don't understand. <laughs> I think these things are cool. I'm sure there'd be so many readers out there that would love access to these things. And also it would, you know, create wider accessibility for people who might not know that they'd enjoy such cool stuff. But anyway, um, I think that comes down to me being quite annoyed sometimes that certain books are considered to, you know, be more important because they have literary merit than other books that, you know, maybe are considered particularly when it comes to romance or young adult things, which people, you know, people in the literary world can look down on a little bit, which I don't think is cool. Like I love literary fiction, but I also love, you know, romantic things. And frankly, I mean, this movie, anyway, sorry, <laughs> that was an enormous rant, you guys. I'm really sorry. Um, I got very distracted. Um, so the point of what I'm talking about right now is Better Days, the Chinese film. So I really, really loved this. Um, the film itself is a, I think I've seen it described as a romantic crime melodrama and it is gritty. It's very gritty. It's shot beautifully. I found it to be very romantic. There is a crime element in there. It is also quite violent. Um, it's not, I didn't think it was, you know, more violent than other things I've seen. Like it's not overly violent, but it's violent in a way that is very emotionally, emotionally impacting, uh, impactive because it is about bullying. So you do see this girl getting very severely bullied. And I think that level of violence is quite difficult to watch because she's so helpless. So it's quite, oh, it's heavy. Um, at the same time, you know, the film, a lot of it is filmed at night in, in a Chinese city that I didn't recognize because I don't know that much about it, I guess. Um, and, you know, it's like, it just looks amazing with the way it's filmed. It's obviously in a very rundown neighborhood in this very gritty area, very heavily urbanized. Um, and so like, it's always like in the dark with these mad neon lights and these, you know, 
twisting overpasses of a highway and everything's just concrete and everything looks so bleak and yet you know, neon and beautiful and saturated at the same time. It's just strangely, like when I think of this film, the word I want to use is seductive, even though that sounds like such a fucking weird thing to say about a movie about bullying. That's a crime, got a crime element. Like it's not like the storyline's seductive, but there's something about this Romeo Juliet style story that sucks you in and it's very swoony. And it's like, I don't know, I feel like it's, it just draws you in like getting stuck in honey or something. It's such a weird way to describe it, but I really do feel like it just seeped into me and inside me. And I kept thinking about it for days. Um, so I loved it. I'm going to say though that I don't think it's perfect. I think plot wise, there's a few weird things in there, like a little, some, some stuff I was like, well, I think they could have taken that out or, you know, it doesn't fully completely make sense. Some of it, but I mean, it does, but the plot is just a little bit convoluted at times. And I also didn't agree with the way, um, it kind of stops being linear storytelling at one point. So instead of being one thing and then after another, after another, it's like you get to the end and then they flash back so you can understand what happened. But I think that kind of turned me against one of the main characters for just a moment. I got really worried that he'd done something very fucking bad. So I was like, whoa. Um, so I didn't, you know, it's not perfect. I didn't think it was absolutely perfect, but I think that it is um I loved it anyway. I loved it. I thought it was really moving and um, swoony, really swoony in this really slow burn, subtle, gritty, all about holding back kind of way. So the film itself, I guess I'll quickly tell you what it's about. Um, I think I'm not going to spoil it, even though I'd really like to talk about the end. Okay, I'm not going to spoil it. Um, I think it's it's okay sometimes spoiling K-dramas because they're so long and there's so much in them that you can never really discuss them all. But I think sometimes with films, it's good not to spoil them because, um, you know, they're just fucking short <laughs> and you'll know everything. <laughs> all right, so... The film starts off with this young girl who is a high school student and I just loved the depiction of, you know, being in that final year in a high school with thousands of other kids, you know, all dressed the same, all working for the same future. And this this feeling like it's just shoulder to shoulder people like walking in and walking out like this young girl is just always one in a thousand in a crowd. And the feeling of acute loneliness and isolation that you get from seeing her surrounded by so many people who cannot help her is powerful. Like I thought it was a really, really clever use of, I guess, imagery to create this really lonely feeling, which is the complete opposite of what you're actually seeing with your eyes, which is like so many people. I thought it was really clever. Um, but this young girl ends up through different circumstances that you can watch for yourself getting targeted at school by some very, very nasty girls. Um, she tries to do the right thing. She tries to, you know, bring it to attention and everything just gets worse and worse and worse. Meanwhile, you know, she lives in this really gritty neighborhood. She's got a troubled home life. Um, she's having a lot of troubles in her life and is very, very unhappy and lonely and can't really deal with the bullying. She meets this young guy who's potentially just slightly older than her, like obviously a high school dropout living on the streets, um, involved in petty criminal shit. And basically she comes across him getting absolutely bashed up on the street, like a, some sort of gang fight thing. And she accidentally gets involved and then he sort of ends up owing her a favor. So he sort of helps her out and then they end up having like this kind of a fight, um, which again, I really liked. I like that it's not just this, you know, swoony love at first sight. Like he's this really rough, scary dude on the street. So like there's this element where you don't really know what he's going to do and if he's okay or not. And I liked that um, because it takes a while for him to really begin to care about her and treat her really well, like she's precious. You know, at first he's just this real, he doesn't give a shit about anything, but after a while he gives a shit about her. Um, um, so I just, they just get to know each other very, very slowly and 
you know, they're two extremely broken people who find a lifeline in each other and find something to to live for, like hope, I suppose, just that there's hope in the world because the other exists. And it's very swoony, but it's, you know, it's very slow, (laughs) slow burn, I guess, you know, it's not like a big sort of romance scene or anything like that. It all feels very gritty and desperate and, and like holding back. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say. There's, there's like a big crime thing at the end that I really want to discuss, but I'm fully aware that I've talked for way too long this episode already. And, um, I also don't want to spoil it, even though I really want to talk about it. So if you watch the film, I really hope you like it, but you know, it might not be for everyone. I I totally get that. Um, I'd be interested if you did like it though. Um, probably, yeah, contact me and tell me if you did like it (laughs) so that I can fangirl over it with you, but probably don't bother contacting me if you don't like it. (laughs) Cause I did, I thought it was great. So that is Better Days, um, a Chinese film that came out in 2019 based on the popular YA novel In His Youth, In Her Beauty. And the film is called Better Days. I think if, if, if that sounds like your thing, you should go watch it. Um, and then yeah, let me know if you loved it. (laughs) You know what? So normally I would do my something I'm loving this week section here now, but I'm aware that I have gone over time and done too much. So um, I will just say that this week, something that I'm really, really loving (laughs) is that film, Better Days. Like I really keep thinking about it. It really seeped under my skin. Um, There was something else that I'm really loving that I was going to talk about, which was a book, but I I think I want to talk about it in a little bit more detail than I have time for today. So I might save that for next week. So um, that's it from me then (laughs) for my something I'm loving. (laughs) 